Hello, everyone. I'm here today with Nolan Burchett from Touchtone Recovery. Nolan, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Jim. Hey, thanks so much for uh, for uh, visiting with us today. Um, I, I know uh, recently my, my last guest that was on was uh, was Brandon Davidson, and Brandon had been at a function that we had attended together uh, out in uh, out in Sanger a few weeks ago yep. when it was very warm, and uh, you were there uh, as well, and I know one of the things that that I'm focusing on now when we do events in the community is is I really want to bring uh, people that are part of the recovery community together. I want them to see and understand, uh, be introduced to uh, a, a lot of different resources, sure. right? Uh, I remember when I remember when when Zach went to you know his his first medical detox, and then he was in an inpatient program and then an outpatient program. There was only one program that we knew about at that time. Uh, I think there's a, an advantage for, for people learning about a lot of different programs, meeting a lot of different people, and just knowing what resources are, are available. And yeah. especially for our community, there are some resources that someone's insurance may not cover or be able to cover, and then there's others. So I think, again, I think, I think more is better. Sure. In, in this world. So anyway, so, so Nolan, t- just tell us a little bit about what you do at, at Touchstone and, and, uh, and, and how, how you serve the recovery community. Sure. I'd be happy to. So I'm the executive director at Touchstone Recovery Center. We treat adults and adolescents at the outpatient level, meaning um, we don't house them. It's not an inpatient treatment facility. We're actually opening an inpatient treatment facility in Clovis. It should be open, say, by October. Will um, you do uh, adults and we, uh, adolescents as well? For the inpatient, it'll just be adults. Okay. So um, hopefully in the future we can get there. You know, um, the, the facility that we're opening in October will be a six-bed adult facility, so a detox and a residential. Um, hopefully, I know in, in our community we only have a couple – options for people that need detox treatment. Um, a lot of people that call in to Touchstone um, don't, they don't meet medical necessity for outpatient, meaning they need to start at a higher level of care. So in, in many cases, we have to send those people and recommend that they go to detox and they end up going out of town. Um, a lot of times that's it's not very appealing to the families and, and to the patients. So Opening a six-bed detox is, is something we've wanted to do for a while. We're finally getting there. Um, but right now, we have an outpatient. So we have a PHP and an IOP level of care, which... And PHP means... PHP means Partial Hospitalization Program. Okay. That's five days a week, six hours a day. Um, that's for adults. And then we also have an IOP, which is Intensive Outpatient. That's um, four days a week, three hours a day. And that's for adults or adolescents. They're two separate tracks, two separate programs. Um, we have been around a long time. Touchstone was around, I think, since 2004. So it's, it's been around quite a while. So because we have that longevity, we've, we've been able to procure insurance contracts with pretty much every policy you can name. The only thing that we don't take is Medi-Cal or Medicare. Unfortunately, so now, now Nolan, if if someone if someone comes to your facility uh, and you do an intake with them and through this intake process, uh, either either before you do the the intake or during the process, and you find out they don't have an insurance that meets up with yours, do you sure. it, does your staff 
make a referral or a recommendation to a different to a different program? How is that how is that handled? Of course. So so typically a person or their family is going to call in and ask for help, right? So they're going to one of the first things we're going to do is ask, you know, um, what's going on and find out the frequency of use, the amount being used, what substances are being abused, um, and that's going to let us know what level of care the person needs. Shortly thereafter, we're going to ask them about their insurance because okay. I I know. Um, just like a doctor's office, when you're going into treatment, certain facilities take certain insurances. So one of the determining factors is going to be what insurance a person has. If they have Medi-Cal, then we make the appropriate referral. Um, it's, it's good to know what level of care the person needs first, because if they, if they have an insurance that we're unable to accept, we don't want to send them to the wrong facility. We need as much information as possible, and then we can refer them to, to the appropriate facility. Um, but always, um, we never we try not to get off the phone with anyone until we give them the resources they need, whether it's us or not. You know, most people call for help when they're ready for it. Right. And it, right. maybe tomorrow it's not the right time. Maybe. Right. And I know in my case, like when I went to treatment, if I would have had more of the drug, my drug of choice in my pocket, I wouldn't have made that call. Right. So by the next day, it's a fleeting moment. So when people call and they're ready for treatment, we need to help get them in as soon as possible. So I, I take pride in that. I know when someone calls at 7 a.m., me or my staff is going to answer the phone and we're going to get them in for an, for an intake by 9 a.m. You know, it's, it's that quick and it needs to be. Otherwise, you know, they might not get the help they need. St- stuff happens in between. Yep. It, it really, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Time is of the, uh, is of essence. For sure. There for sure. Yep. Well, good. So, so that, well, that, that leads me into that. So, so you're the executive director here of Touchstone. Um, what was your background or history that, that, that brought you to this? Did you just kind of wake up one day and say, gee, I want a career in, no. so in, in, in addiction treatment. Yeah. Hey, that sounds like a, yeah. And <laughs> I, I never thought that I'd, I'd, I mean, growing up, this wasn't even a field that I was aware of. Um, I grew up in Visalia. I went to Fresno State for international business. I ended up at Chico State. Um, grew up with a really good family. Had a lot of support from mom and dad and have two brothers. Neither of them are in recovery or and neither of them work in this field. My parents had no idea about addiction growing up. Um, but I, I started abusing alcohol and, and other substances pretty young. Alcohol and probably freshman year of high school, started using. And, it, you know, I, I knew early on that I drank a lot differently than other people did. Mm. Um, so I abused alcohol all throughout high school, went to college, started getting into other substances. So I tried pretty much everything under the sun. The thing that got its hooks in me was opiates. Um, that's a, one, of the, one of the drugs that when you take it on a daily basis, you can't stop taking it. You know, you right. have that physical, mental, emotional addiction. And um, I became dependent to it, um, ended up going to treatment when I was about 23. Um, went to the camp recovery center up in San, or in um, Santa Cruz, but it's actually in it's Scotts Valley right outside of Santa Cruz. So I went to treatment, completed a 28-day program, and, you know, my family and I thought, okay, I'm cured. That's in the past. Time to move on. So I... Didn't go to aftercare, didn't like see a therapist, no 12-step support groups, nothing. And, and let, let me just break in just for a second, Norm, because that is, 
I can tell you from a from a, a parent's point of view and from a family that when when Zach was was so sick and he went through his medical detox, we were just happy that we caught it. Yeah. And we were happy that it was done and we we did not get the 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 level of of training or education that we needed. We didn't know where to look for it. We didn't know how to seek it out. And guess what? Zach's insurance was for his treatment, the insurance that would pay. Mm -hmm. They kept the insurance companies. It was their job. Then I think they're hopefully they're getting a little better about that, but you know, their job was to get him out and pay as little as possible. Yep. Right. That's still the case. Yeah. And, and so, so we didn't understand, you know, what we, what we needed. We sure. didn't understand what what that further care should look like, or or what would, or what it would mean for him, or what it would mean for us, and so I think that that's I think that's a, a common thing. If you you know if you have a kid and they break their arm, you take him to the hospital and they fix the arm. You go, oh, hey, he's in a cast. The cast comes off. His arm's good. Yep. Right, and that's it. And that's kind of the way that we, I, I think the way that we thought about Zach's treatment. Hey, hey, he went to the. You know, what do you mean you didn't fix him? Yeah. You know, I thought he was cured. Yeah, we thought it was cured. And and again, so the, the I think people's understanding about that needs to kind of shift and, and needs to kind of change. Like you said, you knew in high school when you drank, you didn't drink like everyone else drank. Because, yeah. dude, everyone drinks in high school. Maybe not everyone, but probably 70%. All my friends did. 80% and all your, all your friends did. but But somehow you were different. Yeah. You know? They were probably able to drink and and have a couple beers a, in a night, and or, or or maybe get drunk once, and that was it. Not whatever whatever your habits were were much different. Yeah, right? I, I tended to drink to blackout almost every time I would drink in and, high school. In high school, and then there was negative consequences that came along with that. You know, I fractured relationships. My parents getting ticked off of me, and I'm getting grounded, and I'm wrecking my car, all kinds of stuff, and I it didn't stop me. And right. yes, yeah, yeah, and it just and it didn't stop, but but again, this wasn't a red flag enough for anyone that was around you, yeah, to to well, to make it, you know, to to make it stop or for you to stop and say, because for you, that was your normal, yeah. And I also think you know I didn't have really severe consequences at that point. It was stuff that kind of got brushed under the rug. Um, I you know my parents just like I'm, I'm a parent and I can understand them wanting to just pretend everything's okay because they, you know, right. it's, it's a hard reality to face when your, right. your kid has a disease. Right. Um, I still, to this day, my dad doesn't want to talk about that. He doesn't want to admit that. Um, and I, I get it. You know, you, you want your kids to be happy. You want them to be successful. You want to, you want them to be the best versions of themselves. So not addressing a problem doesn't make it go away. Unfortunately, so it, it just never got addressed. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I'm so, sorry to inter- interrupt. I no. just thought that was uh, that was just something that I wanted to, to to point out is that we we often oftentimes our families and, and ourselves we do things that we believe are are just normal behaviors. But until we seek out that information, until we're willing to talk about it, until we're willing to ask those questions, we're just going to continue to get what we've always sure. got. And and for you that drove you even deeper and deeper into your yeah. addiction. Yeah. So, and I think just to piggyback that, I think it's important for treatment facilities, whether it's 
it's us or any of them. And I, I think we, I know we do a good job of this. And I think most treatment facilities are learning like and family involvement is, is crucial. Yes. You know, to have family involvement while they're in treatment and then involved in the aftercare plan and involved in the person's progress. So aware of the treatment plan, aware of what their discharge plan is and how we suggest or a clinician suggests that the person proceeds after treatment. You know, that's really important because it's not something that you're cured after 28 days, 60 days, 90 days, 180 days. It's something that needs constant attention. It's something that needs to be maintained. You know, it's it's a maintenance program. Recovery is something you have to live. It's it's not something that it's it's not a magic pill you take and then you're you're all good. You know, um, so I went to treatment after after I went to uh, Santa Cruz for treatment. I ended up joining the Marine Corps. After I got out of the Marine Corps, I got pretty much right back into my pill addiction. Um, I I drank the entire time I was in the Marine Corps. You know, every weekend we'd get leave and I I'd go drink to blackout in most cases. Um, and when I got out, I started using pills pretty quickly. Within a year, I was back to using. Um, and then I, yeah, I, I got myself in a lot of trouble. I was in the produce business, so everything appeared okay. I, you know, I was holding down a job. I had just gotten married. At this point, I'm like 29, and I'm making good money. You know, I'm traveling all over the world. I went to all over Asia, went to South America, and lived down in Chile and Peru and Argentina and um my parents were proud of me and my wife thought, you know, oh, my, my husband's doing great. I was never home, but I was making good money and I was, uh, I appeared as if, but I'm, right. you know, I'm taking 30 to 50 pills of these Norcos a day by, by the year 2010. Now, how is it possible knowing that someone can take 30 to 50 opiates a day, sure, painkillers and still be able to walk? Cause I'm thinking if, if I took two or three, I'd be stumbling around so bad I couldn't do anything. How can you take 30 to 50? So talk about about what sure. how that um, builds up. And yeah, building a tolerance. So, you know, the first time I hadn't used pills for at least five years while I was in the Marine Corps. And then when I got out, I, I was golfing with a buddy and he offered, or no, I don't even think he offered me one. I think I asked him for one. I noticed that he had him. He was an MMA guy, right? And he had hurt himself and so I noticed he was taking a, a, a pill and I asked him what it was. He gave me one or two and it did the job one or two, you know, a, the next day I'm calling him getting more and then I'm calling another guy that I know maybe has them and I'm figuring out how to get more. Um, and the, you know, the prescriptions you typically for, for Norco's are going to be three a day, I think maybe four. And that'll, they'll give you 120 of them for a month. I was getting those prescriptions pretty quickly after that golf round from a doctor, you know, I'd walk into the doctor's office and say, I hurt my back in the Marine Corps. Look, here's my military ID. And they just give me the pills. They, they didn't argue with me. They just believed me and gave me a month's worth of, of pills. And, um, I would take, I would take 120 pills in, in a couple years that would last me two days, maybe three. Wow. Um, but yeah, so the, to answer your question, it, your tolerance builds and it, it builds slowly, but i built it pretty much as quickly as I could. You know, I was taking 10 within a couple weeks, 10 a day. And then, you know, by the end of it. So, so for people who don't understand, t talk about wh why would you have to take more? I mean, sure. would you t talk about how, how you start to feel sick? I hear the term yeah. dope sick. And uh -huh. I remember, you know, Zach even talking about and 
just screaming and crying and, and being in so much pain. And, and, and just talk a little bit about. Yeah. So you, uh, your body gets dependent on it. So if, and, and the effects of it will dissipate. So when I first started taking them, I would feel it. I'd feel the effects. I'd, I, you know, I'd get high. And then after a few months of taking them, you're no longer getting high. Now you're just staying well. So what it looks like when you run out is you feel have flu-like symptoms. You, you're going through withdrawals. So you, you're, cold sweats, you're running a fever at times, you can't sleep, your joints ache, your body hurts, you're, you lose your appetite, you get irritable. And I mean, it's, it's pretty severe opiate. But then you can, you can make that stop by and taking you can a pill by taking a pill. Yep. So when, so when someone tells you addict, just, dude, just, just stop. Yeah. Why are you doing this? It, it, the, the addict's just thinking, I just need to survive. Yeah, I can't, I can't stop. Um, and I know, you know, and my circumstances are going to be different than, than Joe or John or anyone else. But I know in my, in my case, I couldn't stop in my mind. I couldn't stop taking them because I needed to go to work. I needed to appear well for my wife and I needed my ex-wife now, but I needed to, um, just maintain the, the lie that I was living. You know, I was trying to maintain a job. I didn't want to admit I'd already been to rehab. God forbid I'm using drugs again. Right. I'm, I'm, right. I'm cured. My parents thought I was cured. I didn't want to ask for help. So I started um, hiding it and then it built really quickly. I'm getting into financial debt, um, spending about well over a thousand dollars a week on these, on these opiates, which, you know, and I, I didn't make that much money to where that, that was going to be sustainable. Right. Um, started losing a, just losing friendships, borrowing money from family members, refinancing a car, you know, doing whatever I could to maintain my, my addiction and, and the lie. And then also stay well. I mean, moreover, the first thing I would do when I would get a loan or, you know, trade, sell something of, of mine, something my dad gave me as a gift, which I did on a couple occasions, the, the, as soon as I got that money in my hand, I didn't pay my debts first. That's not what I did. I went and bought more pills. But, but and again, just to be clear, it, it wasn't because you wanted to go party. No, it wasn't no. like you called your buddies and said, "Hey, no, man, no. we're gonna we're gonna kill it this weekend." That wasn't no. it. It was, I got to get better. Yeah, I, I mean, by that point, I I was isolating. You know, I yeah. no, I did my best friend in the world, the guy who was the best man at my wedding, did not know I was using. My wife did not know I was using. My parents did not know I was using. I was, and I'm sure they had some inklings, you know, they, they had to see the behavior was erratic and I didn't probably didn't look well. Um, you know, taking that many pills a day, there's, there's side effects. You're right. Things were slipping. My finances were a mess. I'm lying to people about things that really don't make sense to them. You know, I get caught in lies all the time. Um, so it's, it's was a lie that was hard to maintain, but I, I did it for quite a while. Um, eventually the, the debt got so out of, out of whack and you know, I'm borrowing money from my father-in-law. I'm doing, I'm doing things that really was so it was short-term thinking. I was trying to solve the, the problem that I was living in in that moment without looking down the road a week even. Right. Right. So I decided to, to make some really bad decisions. Um, I ended up committing a couple crimes. Um, the first one that I had committed was, uh, I decided to rob a bank. So I went to a, and I, I, you know, I was a good kid. I, 
I didn't want to hurt anybody. I, I was trying to maintain my addiction. And I justified it in my, in my brain, in my sick thinking, you know, and I figured out, okay, if I go get about $10,000 or maybe, maybe 15, that's all I need and I'll be fine. It'll, then I'll quit next week and it'll all be over. And okay, that's what I'm going to do. So I finally built up the stupidity. It was not courage, the stupidity to do it. And I ended up um, passing a note in a bank in uh, Tulare County and I got away with it for the time being, I had gotten away with it. And I, you know, the, that plan to quit a week later, it just never happened. Um, ended up doing it a, again, a second time, a couple weeks later, the third day, the third time that I, that I did that, um, I ended up getting in a high speed chase with the, with the police. Um, when the, when the cops pulled up behind me in the, their squad car, I, I knew I was caught, you know, it, it, it was, really, really bad moment in time, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to jail for 20, 30 years. I had no idea what the consequences were. Sure, I, it's not sure. like I planned for it. So I, I thought that I was going to go to prison. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my wife. I'm going to lose my, my house, you know, all these things that, I mean, they were going away pretty quickly in that moment. So I decided, you know, I, I can't face that. I don't want to live through that. I'm, I'm going to check out. So my, at that point, I've never been suicidal, but at that point I thought that's, that was the best option forward, right? Was not going forward at all. Right. Right. So I took my seatbelt off and hit the gas, ended up uh, hitting a telephone pole at about 55 miles an hour. Um, that didn't do it. The telephone pole sheared and I ended up, the car spun out. Basically I went right through the telephone pole. I ended up in the passenger seat. My head was, had, there was a big hole in the windshield from where my head hit it. And I'm in the passenger seat bleeding and the cops are surrounding me. And I, I came to and I realized that I wasn't dead. And I, you know, I didn't know what to do at that point. I figured, okay, I got one last chance to do this. So I got out of the car and I went to my waist with my, with my hand. I didn't have a weapon, but I went to my waist and I pulled my hand up with nothing in it. And I got the officers to shoot me. I got shot seven times, um, five of which are in the chest area, which, you know, should have killed me. I, right, I right. Should have, should have died. That day I, um, went to the hospital, got chest tubes put in, in both of my lungs. Both of my lungs were punctured. Um, didn't pass out for about an hour after I was shot. Wow. Um, yeah, it was a rough day. And then, passed out from, from the pain. I was in the, the operating room and I, they wouldn't give me morphine or anything because I'd lost so much blood. So I, yeah, that was the day I went to, went to prison. So I was incarcerated for over five years, um, which is not a long time for robbing three banks. You know, there was a really serious crimes. Thank God nobody besides myself got hurt. Um, but it was, it was, a Thank God that, thank God that no one, nobody else got hurt. But it, it, that's what it took for me to, to really start looking inward and figure out, you know, what I want to do with the rest of my life. Am I able to stay sober? And if so, what does that look like? And what steps do I need to take to, to turn my life around? Um, I think I mentioned this earlier, but 
when we were speaking, but I, at one point I looked in the mirror while I was in prison and I just was disgusted with the reflection that I was looking at. I couldn't stand it. And I, I knew that I wasn't that person. I knew that I could, I could be a better man than I had been for the last heck by that point, it had been 15 years that I'd been living like that. Right. Um, so at that point I decided to start trying to make the right decision. I didn't know what recovery looked like. I didn't know how I was going to stay sober. I didn't know if I could stay sober, but I knew that I knew right and wrong. You know, I, I know what right is, what is right. And I know what is wrong. And I've always had a moral compass. I disregarded it for a long time. Um, but I, I decided at that point I'd been sober for about a week. I was in solitary confinement in prison. So I wasn't thinking quite as clear as, as I should be, but I, I knew that I could start making the right decision. So the next choice that I was faced with, I tried to do the right thing. And I, I did that time and time again. Um, I, you know, I made a lot of mistakes since I got sober. I made a lot of mistakes, but I, I'm able to deal with them with a clear head. I'm able to address the problem, try to solve it. And if I can't solve it, you know, I ask for help and I, we figure it out. I'm try to be as resourceful as possible in, in my role now at Touchstone. And I, I know that that, that plays a big part of it. Like my experience with just figuring out how to get through things. So, so Nolan, let me ask is, as you look back over your, your life now, and obviously, and how, how long ago was this? So when, when you, you know, when, when you were in prison and sure, you looked in that mirror and all of a sudden you decided to change your life. That was January 5th, 2016. Okay. Okay. Um, six and a half years ago. So six and a half years ago. Well, and, and, and again, if, uh, I mean, sitting across from you, you, you would never know, huh. you know, it, you know, any of that, you don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know what, uh, you know, an, an ex-con bank robber looks like, but your picture doesn't come to mind. It will now from now on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but as you look back of, of your of your life before then, and I we had talked about this a little earlier. T- talk a little bit about the 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 sense of loss, or or the things the things that that not being in sobriety have 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 cost you. Sure. And, 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 and are those things that you, st- I mean, and then how do you move on from that now? Cause obviously you've moved on. And uh, again, I think what's so amazing to me. And, and again, I, I said this the other night at the, the meeting that we were at with everybody's like most all my friends now are, are people in, are in, in recovery and not a single one of them or anyone that I would ever believe or associate with, you know, the trauma that they experienced in their previous life kind of is how I, I sure. think is how I think. But 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 talk a little bit uh, just about how that loss affected you and 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 where it is today and and how you move on how you move on from that. Sure. Yeah. So um, I mean that that day that I looked in the mirror and I I hated the reflection that was looking back at me. But at that point, I'd lost so many things due to my addiction. I'd lost, and it you know it built up over time. But I I, I lost a lot of things. I lost my the respect of my father. I lost. Of that marriage had dissolved by that day. I'm, I've been divorced now for a long time, remarried, thank God. Um, but those are, I guess, um, the things that I've lost were a career. I'd lost my self-respect. 
I'd lost my moral compass. I mean, to, even to make that decision to to rob a bank, how crazy is that? You know, I I don't know who that person was. I when I try right. to put my mind when I try to go to that place wherever my mind was when I started considering it, I just can't wrap my head around it. Like how I how I chose to do that instead of ask for help, instead of call my mom and say, "Hey mom, I need your I need your help." I'm this is this is this is making me emotional. I should have called and asked for help. I should have went to my ex-wife and said, hey, this is, this is what's going on, and I, I don't know how to get out myself out of this jam, you know? But I, I didn't do that. I decided to break the law. I decided to try to continue living that ridiculous lie, and I had no plan for tomorrow. And that just tells you like, how addiction will take over your mind. It'll take over your decision-making um, no matter what you lose, when you're active in your addiction, it, it, stuff doesn't matter. You know, the, the drug matters, the drink matters, whatever it is that will, will make you feel better in the moment. That's what matters. And I, and, and just, just hearing you talk about that, I, I think that that's the, the big challenge. If there's someone today that's struggling and they just keep making bad decisions and they don't know why they do it. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's it. I think when someone's in there, you know, as as you say, when they're when they're in the midst of their addiction, they're not thinking straight. No, they're not making good decisions. The best decision you could come up with was like, you know, hell, I'm gonna rob a bank. Yep, that's gonna solve all my financial problems. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, you know, and and uh, and then you know, hearing you talk about your losses, and I can imagine, and and I think back about. You know when Zach was in in his addiction, and you know he it goes from bad to worse. You make a bad decision, then you have a DUI. Now you got to deal with that, and just every every decision that you make just heaps on. And now there's a financial worry, and you that gets put on top of that, and everyone just compounds and it compounds and it compounds until you think the only solution that you have. You, you know, you know how to feel better. Yeah. Right. And, and, and feeling better is, is finding that, you know, whatever that drug is that, that you, that you use before. Yep. And right. then, I mean, I think what's, what, what's really crazy is while, while I was active in my addiction, I, I wouldn't deal with any of those problems that I, I had caused for myself. So the financial problems, if, as long as I have a pocket full of pills, I'll worry about that tomorrow. You know, my marriage was falling apart. And I'll, I'll worry about that when I have time. You know, my career was going down the tubes. I was taking, you know, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of pills on on international flights when I would go out of the country for work. So the consequences of that could have been in Singapore, I would have got life in prison if they would have caught me with those things. I didn't think about consequences. I didn't think about the what was going to happen if, you know, all I thought about was this is what I need. That's, I'm going to do whatever I need or I have to do to get it and to, to keep well, to, to keep my pocket full of pills. That, that's all that really mattered in the end. I would have chosen those over anything, and I did. So, and, and now let's take the antithesis of that because we can see how it can spiral downhill sure. into disastrous terms. But, but you said <clears throat> once, you, once you had made that decision that you – that in you, it, it, the word you used to me earlier today was that you hit your bottom. 
and and you had decided I want to make a change, and it wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. But then you started, you started just layering one good decision on top of another. Uh, yeah, that's as, as small as they were. Yeah. One good decision on top of another, and so and again for someone listening out there that finds himself in that position that says, you know, holy shit, I'm so I'm so far and deep. There's no way I'm ever going to get out. Yeah. That's not the case. It's not going to be pretty, but but you put one good decision on top of another, and now six years later, you're the executive director of a medical facility. Sure, for crying out loud, right? Yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, um, yeah. I, you've got a, you, you're you're remarried. Yep, happily married. Um, have a two year old son. Have a seven year old daughter. Um, seven year old stepdaughter that I love like my own. Um, yeah, really really blessed. And I think I think. The good things come in life pretty quickly when you when you do the right thing when you put your effort into when you put all of your effort into something, you know. Um, when I was in prison, it's 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 complicated. I think um, because if you're active in your addiction, if you're so I'm I'm speaking to anyone out there who is actively sure, using. Sure. You know, our best thinking got us to where we are, right? So if if you're actively using and you're in your addiction out there, ask for help. That's what. That's really what you need. I, it's a different circumstance. Um, I was in prison. There wasn't really access to drugs without me actively seeking it. I it, I was in solitary confinement. You know, it was a it was a really really different situation. But if you're right. if you're living with a bunch of guys who are using, you know, just trying to make the right decision one after another, that's probably not going to work. You know, I, I think asking for help and, and getting getting into at least some type of detox facility if, if you're if you're using on a daily basis. But for me, making those making the right decision one after another worked and held me over until I, I got into a recovery program. You know, I, I ran into a, a gentleman that was in there for a drug related offense. He had gotten a car accident, his girlfriend got killed, so he went to jail for fourteen years for manslaughter. And so he was in recovery. He had like seven years at that point. One of the only guys in there that like I, I felt like I could talk to and I could pal up with. Um, I'm sure there was more, but I was trying to protect myself. You know? Sure. And so I got really friendly with him. He became my uh, sponsor. We started going to meetings while I was incarcerated. Um, eventually, I, I got transferred to a prison where I, I was able to go back to college. So I went back um, to become a drug and alcohol counselor while I was while I was incarcerated, and then continued education when I got out. So I got out of prison. I ended up going to um, Cal State Bakersfield for psychology, and I started um, trying to get jobs. You know, it's not easy when you're con- when you're a felon to get to get hired. I couldn't get a job at Target. I couldn't get a job at Kohl's. Um, you know, and I had a I had a, a pretty good work history. Right. You know, right. And um, college education and it didn't matter that felony excluded me from so many jobs. Um, I, I had been like through the interview process. I was fully honest when, when I went into the interviews, told them exactly what just happened and where I just came from and how my last job was flipping eggs in the, in the prison kitchen, you know, um, with guys with life sentences working right next to me and Um, that excluded me from getting hired in a lot of places, especially like big corporations. Right. Um, So I decided just to, you know, just to continue going to school. And I knew that, 
you know, I prayed that something would come up and God would put the right thing in front of me and it, I would, I would um, get lucky, you know, but I, I was fully prepared for flipping burgers for the rest of my life. Um, and then I ended up getting into this, this field by, uh, I got a shot to work in this field by Northbound Treatment Services. It's a place out of uh, Newport Beach. Oh, okay. and so I was in like business development. And this whole time I'm working a recovery program. I'm staying sober. You know, all of it would have gone right out the window if I would have started using again. I know right. that. Um, or if I would have started lying again or doing any of the behaviors I used to do. So a lot, a lot had to change for, for the stars to align, you know, and a lot of action had to be taken to maintain this, this trajectory. I, I know that I'm, I'm really lucky and it happened really fast for me, but it seems to happen that way for a lot of people, you know? Um, well, I think it's, it's like you said, Nolan, you, you started making good decisions mm-hmm. and then good things, good things happen. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, and again, it's, it's not like you still didn't have to deal with the consequences of your behavior from before. Yeah, that's for, it, that's for sure. You know, and and that's and that's there. But but, I, I mean, cl- clearly, clearly, you have you have changed your life, and the support that you get from, from the the program that you're involved in now, and from the people that you've surrounded yourself uh, yeah. with are there. And and I think that's the that's the message that I want that I want people to to hear is that there is that hope, sure. and, and that hope is there. And and again, uh, Nolan, as we as we close out today tell people again how they can get in touch with you and i don't know if you have a social media that people if they wanted to contact you could but at least how they can get in in touch with uh with your facility sure so um you can go to our website it's touchstonerecoverycenter.com you can always just call me i put my cell phone on the on the website it's 559-723-9064 we we accept calls at all hours so if and i i know a lot of people, when when they need help, they really don't know where to turn. Right. And I'm I'm hoping that we change that. I know that's that's a something that I try to do daily is I try to get our name out there, try to get people aware that there's help out there for you, even if it's not Touchstone. There's there's other places in right. Fresno that are really good at what they do. And and that's I I got to say that that that's one of the amazing things that I find in the recovery community is that. And, and it's, it's, it's part of the, you know, you'll hear, we'll discuss on this podcast a lot, you know, about the steps yep. and then the 12th step is about giving it away. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, so the things that everyone that I've met in recovery, they want someone else to have the same opportunity that they've had to, to become healed, to, to get better and to live the best life that they can. Yep. Right. So. Nolan, again, thanks so much for uh, for coming out today and, and sharing with us. And I just love uh, again what I hear that that's happening in, in your life and what's happening in your facility and the, the growth that's uh, that's taking place there. Um, uh, as you uh, look on the Zachary Horton Foundation uh, a website, uh, you'll see, and uh, on our Facebook page, you'll you'll see that we have events that that take place from time to time, and a, a lot of those events that we have. Uh, uh, Nolan and his facility are often there and they have a booth up there. And so they're always there ready and willing to talk to people. So that's, that's, I think the, the other thing that's, that's really evident about the recovery community and, and the people that were the, in the resources, they want, they want people to have access to them yep. and they don't, they don't hide it. They don't make it difficult. And I know that people can go to my website and they can find your information on there along with 
um, many of the others that are in Fresno County. Yep. So, Nolan, again, thank you so much for coming out today. Uh, brother, it was great to have you. Thank you, Jim. And um, as always, uh, I'm going to tell you to go uh, find someone today in your life and tell them that you love them. This is Zach's dad. <laughs>